Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, training camps are starting to open. How are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you? We got another great guest today. This is going to be fun. Yep. Yep. We got a good one. I'm doing well. I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing well. My, <laughs> I'm always excited for training camps to open. You know, I'm excited to see some real football. We're getting close to the Hall of Fame game. But for me, that means school's almost back in session. It means the same thing for our guest. We've got Nathan Powell from DLF. Nathan is also the co-host of the Dynasty Tradecast, the co-host of the Dynasty Double Take Podcast. Nathan, how's it going, my man? Uh, it's going well, Ryan. The, the summer is, is treating me well. Uh, however, I, I think my, this is going to show my age, and I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but like, I'm like ready to go back to school. Like, oh, I miss my students. Yada yada yada. Like, I know you're you're a veteran of the game, and so you'll take every minute of your summer. I'm kind of like, oh, I'm you know, I'm ready to go back whenever. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I like being lazy. I like in the summer. I, I kind of can pretend that football is my is my job, and uh, and then that that all gets dashed away. We start on August first, which is uh, obviously pretty early. So. Uh, it's really almost over for me. You you guys start in mid-August or something, Nathan? Uh, teachers report back like August 5th. So. Oh, okay. All right. Well, your your time's almost up too then. Uh, Nathan, what do you teach? Uh, I teach special needs students. Oh, nice. So, Nathan, before we get into some football talk today, we're going to answer some listener questions and you're going to help us. Let me get one more summer take from you. Give me some big brother conversation here i know along with us both being teachers we're also big brother fans who are you liking on big brother this season um i'm terrible with names uh the blonde guy uh i think that he is he, he said like on his like you know opening tape that he's an idiot but he's the one who's playing the best game so far yeah i, I thought the same thing and i'm also terrible with names i don't know his name either the lifeguard guy yeah i, I thought the same thing he's kind of playing a smart game and I don't know. Maybe maybe that happens in Dynasty sometimes too. Maybe we play it dumb when really we have this this master plan. Well, that, that's my that's my Dynasty brand, Ryan. So that's you would see. Okay. All right. Well, no one no wonder you uh, associate with with that guy. Let's uh, let's get into some listener questions today. We got a lot of good ones. We're going to start with Joe, and a lot of these questions are focusing on some depth charts, training camp battles, which is perfect with uh with camps underway here first question from joe who is the running back to own in miami and cleveland so that's his first part uh miami of course we've got Kenyon drake at the top of the depth chart backups are uh really on uh, complete opposite ends of the spectrum uh frank gore comes over from the colts obviously the the veteran, kind of slow-footed, slow and steady. We know what we're getting from Frank Gore. And then the high upside of the rookie, Kalen Balage. Nathan, I, I looked at the current DLF ADP for these guys. All of them actually seem pretty undervalued to me. Drake is RB27. Uh, of course, Gore is near the bottom of that list, RB77. And then Kalen Balage is RB45 in that July ADP. Which one of these guys are you taking at their current value? 
the answer would have to be Drake there. I'm not exactly excited to own any of these guys at the moment, but I, I would say that Balaj, he wasn't drafted high enough in the NFL draft for me to think, oh, this guy is going to get some early early carries. And then they have Gore, who's going to you know be the veteran who gets more carries than he probably should. I know that there were some blurbs like a month ago that Gore might lead the team in carries. I don't think that's the case. I think that Drake, if, if there's a workhorse back in this backfield, it's clearly Kenyon Drake. So um, he's the back to own in fantasy, and I think that Balaj might might be more of the long term play. Matt, what about you? What are you? We we haven't talked about Balaj too much on this show. I don't think either of us are fans. Are you a believer in him? No, um, I don't think he's good at football. You know, and I think that's a problem. <laughs> but I do think he's big, fast. His receiving skills are intriguing. And I remember not liking David Johnson much when he came out, and now he's my number one ranked running back in the whole league. And I'm not saying Belage is David Johnson, but if I missed on Belage and he is a good football player, he could have David Johnson-like skills as a goal line guy, as a big receiver. But I still think the answer for sure is Drake. I think Gore is done, and I, I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe he doesn't even make the team, although I think they love his locker room presence and all those things. He doesn't play special teams. Um, I have Drake ranked higher on my running back list than you said he's 27. I have him at like 21. So I do think he's the guy. But I also, for the dynasty world, I could easily paint a picture where Balazs is bad at football, Gore retires, Drake is a good change of pace guy, and they use a second-round pick on a 230-pound guy next year. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. I'm, I'm also not a fan of Blash, so we all pretty much agree on that. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm not one that puts college production ahead of everything else, but I mean, he just had almost none. He he right. couldn't even get on the field at some at, at some points. Um, so it. The athleticism is is enticing, but uh, he, he's tough to invest in. That said, RB forty five, you know, if if you do believe the the price is pretty nice, I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree completely with Nathan that I, I don't really want any of these guys. But if I'm gonna have one, it's it's Kenyon Drake. Let's move well, over we're, to we're, we're, we're quick note here. I apologize, but. For redraft reasons, I think Drake will not be the talk, touch the touchdown short yardage guy though either. So that's not super appealing. So you, you assume that's Gore or either? I think Drake would be third on the list. I don't know who's one, but I think I know who three is. Well, regardless, the Dolphins are bad, so they won't be in the red zone very often. So. <laughs> <laughs> who do you like from the Brownies? Nathan. All right, so the Browns backfield looks a little bit better. Of course, we've got some some nice names here: Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson, Nick Chubb. Uh, It's interesting. That's the order that they're listed on the depth chart with Hyde, Duke Johnson, and then Chubb third. Our DLF ADP, of course, has those guys flipped. Nick Chubb is the RB20, Duke Johnson RB35, and Carlos Hyde as RB42. This is kind of complete opposite of the Dolphins. I want all three of these guys on my roster. Not necessarily all on the same roster, but um, I I would be glad to have shares of any of these guys. I'm still uh, of the mindset that this is probably Carlos Hyde's only season in Cleveland, and and maybe he even gets uh, gets traded in the preseason if if Nick Chubb really uh, impresses early on. But I, I don't mind to have all three of these guys on my team. Nathan, 
I don't like to make moves or valuations based on assuming a transaction is going to happen. So I kind of think that Carlos Hyde is stuck, and I don't think he's the RB1 there. I think he's certainly going to end up being the, the third most touches of that backfield. So I, I, like, I think that Duke Johnson has the best short-term value, the guy that you can count on to be like a low-end RB2 with mostly just getting the passing down work. And Nick Chubb, with the Duke, Duke Johnson extension, Nick, Nick Chubb's long-term value kind of gets – a little bit depressed because he's not going to have that passing down work that some thought, okay, he's going to be a, a runner in year one, maybe year two, and then he get, will develop in the passing game. But that's not really going to happen with Duke Johnson getting that extension. So I, I think that the, the Johnson extension, you know, lowers uh, Chubb's long-term upside, and it pretty much kills the value of Carlos Hyde until he moves elsewhere. Yeah, I've been a Hyde supporter his whole career, but I really dislike his situation. And maybe somebody does come knocking, like Buffalo. But do you like him much more in Buffalo? You know, I mean, so and, – and like you said, I don't like the bank on someone getting moved. Duke isn't getting moved. He got signed long-term. And I think you said it right that if you have to start one of them in week one, especially in PPR, it's got to be Duke. But I still value Chubb the most. I mean, he's the most talented and with the highest ceiling. Yeah, all, all good points. I guess, Matt, I'm kind of the opposite of you that I've – I've not been a Hyde fan. I've, he's been a guy in general I, I have considered overvalued through uh, the early part of his career. But RB42 just <laughs> seems, right. seems like such a value. I mean, we said it, 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 with the Dolphins that Bellage was RB45. So he's essentially valued in the same range as Kalen Bellage, which which seems seems like we've we've gone a little bit too far. Joe also asked about the wide receiver situation in Dallas. Uh, we we know this depth chart is pretty ugly. Terrence Williams, Alan Hearns, Michael Gallup, uh, the rookie there who a lot of people are expecting big things from. Cole Beasley, another rookie, Cedric Wilson, and Noah Brown. Digging a little bit deeper. Nathan, we know we're avoiding Terrence Williams. That's obvious. Are, are you buying into Alan Hearns at all? As a, as a short-term option, as a guy that you can fill with your bye weeks or your injuries, I think he'll be a fine like wide receiver three in fantasy uh, because there's just not enough in that passing game, and uh, who knows what, what Dallas will be doing. But, you know, and not, not to like get this away from wide receivers, but this just shows how much usage Zeke's going to get this year because they have absolutely nothing at wide receiver. So uh, the, the play is probably just to fade the wide receivers and try and get <laughs> Zeke. Yeah, and and obviously they also have next to nothing at tight end. Um, people people are taking shots on uh, Rico Gathers, and I can't even remember these guys' names. Swaim and, and Jarwin, <laughs> Dalton, Dalton yeah, Schultz, Dalton Schultz. Right. I mean, maybe one of those guys emerges. I, I have a hard time right now predicting who that might be. Uh, I'm starting to think Cole Beasley. You know, the old reliable guy might have some value and, and obviously not much dynasty value, but a guy you can pick up off the waiver wire right now and, and could turn into a, a guy you start as wide receiver three at some point. I think it's a good Beasley point. Although I thought he was really bad last year. Maybe there was injuries at play that I didn't realize or whatever, but I thought he was not a very good player last year. I think Gallup is overrated. If I had to bet who leads this team in receptions, it would be Hearns, but he's a very middling talent. I think the answer is the wide receiver you want in Dallas is their first round pick next year. Yeah. Yeah. So similar situation, maybe to some of these other cloudy depth charts, let's finish off 
And a last part of the question from Joe, he's, he's really milking this one. San Francisco <laughs> wide receivers looks a little bit better. Pierre Garcon, Marquise Goodwin, uh, Trent Taylor, they added Dante Pettis. And, and I've seen some people in some of my deeper dynasty leagues taking a shot on Kendrick Bourne. Uh, I, I don't know about that move. That may be just one of those off-season specials. Uh, Nathan, we know what Garcon is. The guy I'm trying to figure out here is Marquise Goodwin. He got some usage by default last year when Garcon and, and others were injured. Is he the real deal? Can we count on him in fantasy? Yeah, you, you said it. He seems like the type of guy that when there's injuries around, there's just nothing on the depth chart. He took advantage of the situation and got some production because the targets were there. So I think banking on him getting a similar uh, you know amount of production uh, in 2018 would be a bit of you know a wrong assumption. Uh, for me, the dynasty, the best dynasty value of this wide receiving core is Dante Pettis. Uh, for me, everyone knows I'm big on draft capital, and whenever a guy goes higher in the NFL draft than dynasty Twitter and you know NFL draft Twitter was expecting, many thought Dante Pettis would be a third, fourth, fifth round NFL draft pick. He ends up going in the second round, and because of that, yes, there's a bit of a uh, correction. He goes earlier in rookie drafts than he was prior to the draft, but still, it never corrects itself fully. Dante Pettis is still being drafted after guys that were drafted after him. So um, that's when I, you know, take advantage of the value there. I take Dante Pettis in that 203 to 205 range in rookie drafts. So I, I think that he's the best value of, of this um, wide receiving core. And if there's a guy you want to start week one, I think it's Garcon. Agree on all that. Just this system, and we know Shanahan's not going anywhere. And it's the same as McVay's in terms of how they use receivers. It's the same as Big Daddy's and Kubiak's that they want a true number one. They want Julio. They want Andre J. They want Marshall. And they don't have it, and they have a lot of cap room. I think their number one priority this offseason, either first round of the draft or free agency or whatever, is to go get their number one. And then the other thing this system wants, too, it's why they extended Cooks. That's why, you know, Gabriel in Atlanta, Deshaun Jackson when these guys were together in Washington. And that's Goodwin, you know, and, and he can be somewhat of a decoy um, he's not going away either. He got extended. And I think Pettis then becomes a really solid number two long-term. You know, he becomes the the Woods. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. But I, every wide receiver-related move they've made since Shanahan got there has been these six-foot-one or smaller types with somewhat of a slight build. I mean, Garcon and Goodwin and Trent Taylor and Pettis and Aldrich Robinson – essentially every player they've added is a slot guy or, or a glorified slot guy. So I don't know. When do they make the move for, uh, you know, for the big frame, Mike Evans type, Andre Johnson type guy? Well, when, when the Falcons trade Julio, that's when. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a theory on that too, Ryan. Is okay. When they went there, they signed Garcon because there really wasn't much else to pick from. And he was right. very familiar with the system and he's going to be there fill in the, he's to me, he's the placeholder until they find Andre Johnson, you know, that Andre Johnson wasn't available, you know, th- those type of guys. So he holds down that fort for now helps the young dudes. God Goodwin becomes your speed guy. Pettis becomes your number two or Garcon eventually rolls into that number two. And you know, this is because Julio guys don't grow on trees. There's not many of them out there. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. We're going to keep the depth chart uh, conversation going. Our next question from 
Ooh, uh, Regium, I think. Regium? I don't know. Sorry about that. Uh, he's asking about some young wide receivers on the Cincinnati roster. Uh, so surprisingly, not many m- moves made by the Bengals when it comes to their pass catchers. It, it looks like it's going to be another year of A.J. Green and Brandon LaFell, but they do have some young guys behind those, most notably John Ross, who they spent a first-round pick on over a year ago. Also have some names that the dynasty owners know well, Tyler Boyd, Josh Malone, Nathan, if you're taking a shot on one of those guys and, and essentially they're all valued about the same right now, which is next to nothing. Which one are you taking? Yeah, I actually have all three of those guys sprinkled throughout all my dynasty rosters because I was a fan of them when they first got to the Bengals and then they're all ended up on the same team. It's like, Oh, well, you know, hopefully one of these guys hits. And But if there's a guy I'm just taking straight up, it's going to be John Ross. Uh, he's the guy who has the highest draft capital of the group, the best prospect of the group. And, you know, the, the Bengals are invested. They, they haven't fired Marvin Lewis yet, so he's going to try and prove that his draft pick wasn't terrible. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that Ross has the highest upside of the group and will get the most chances. Um, but sneakily, I think Boyd might be the, the safest of the group to, to have some production in 2018. Matt, any thoughts on any of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think LaFell is just a speed bump for these younger guys to move past soon, maybe as soon as early this year. Um, for as cheap as you could get Ross, I'm all on board. I mean, I didn't love him coming out of school. I thought it was a bad pick when they made it. But he's a first-round pick, and he has big playability. But for the price, I think Malone's my guy. I, I like his game a lot. Well, Malone, and as I said, Malone and Boyd are essentially free on the waiver wire and and a lot of dynasty leagues. I think John Ross, I I probably exaggerated there a little bit. John Ross does still have um, some roster value as as those owners who spent a first-round pick on him last year might not be quite ready to give him away or give up on him yet. So he's he does certainly cost a little bit more to acquire. I think I have to agree with Nathan that um, that Ross is the guy of these three, just based on that draft capital. And, you know, we've only seen one year of him and and he was dealing with some injuries. So hopefully uh, he's obviously an exciting player. Hopefully he can uh, contribute this year. He also asked about the Indianapolis wide receivers. Uh, these names are pretty ugly. He, he mentions some young wide receivers, but in Indianapolis, it's essentially just the rookies. Dries Fountain, Deion Kane. We've talked about those guys quite a bit. Uh, I prefer Fountain. What about you, Nathan? Uh, of the rookies, I prefer Kane. I think that he has the more prototypical red zone type um, production. And But honestly, I think that the, as far as the 2018 production, uh, I would go with Ryan Grant as the wide receiver two in Indy. Kane's a guy I'm kind of pursuing. I, I think he's going to be the number two sooner than later and does have some prototypical traits. You know, Lance Zerline loved him coming out. I think there was some questions about work ethic and off the field stuff is the only reason he fell. I think he's kind of like a second round player that they got late. I'd like to get Kane at the, on the cheap right now. Kane's situation is, uh, right. and Nathan knows this well, Kane's situation is somewhat similar to what we saw of Stefan Diggs. Uh, a few years ago in that he was he was a top recruit coming out of high school. Uh, if you're in the Devi League, Deion Kane was certainly a guy you were pursuing even before he uh, stepped foot on Clemson's campus. He had a strong freshman year and kind of tailed off a little bit after that, had, had some off-field things, had some other things going on. And, and of course, Clemson's been stacked essentially every year of the past 
past several seasons. So always some competition for, for touches. And then he becomes a late round pick just as Stefan Diggs was. But some people, maybe if you, if they don't follow the college game, or certainly if they don't follow scouting and recruiting might've felt like Diggs was kind of a guy coming out of nowhere, but that's, that's certainly not the case. And um, if Kane is able to be successful, it would be the same thing with him. Uh, lastly, he asked about the Buffalo wide receivers. Again, just a couple of guys there, Zay Jones and Malachi Dupree. Are we, uh, are we kind of giving Zay Jones a mulligan on his rookie season, Matt? No, I didn't like him then. I like him less now. I don't want any of those guys ever. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's pretty strong. Nathan, <laughs> what about you with Zay Jones or even, even the, uh, former LSU kid Dupree? I had no idea Malachi Dupree was still in the NFL. So oh, <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought his days had come and gone. Uh, obviously, if you if there's one guy for 2018, Andrews Kelvin Benjamin there. Uh, but yeah, Zay Jones, it's one of those situations where he has to show that he's a functioning human being before he even shows me anything on the NFL perspective. So uh, Zay Jones is a guy that like I'll have as my 30th guy on the roster. If I have 30 roster spots, nothing else more than that. Yeah. So of course, Benjamin is there, Nathan, as you mentioned, but after that, it gets ugly quickly. Zay Jones is currently listed as the wide receiver two there, Jeremy Curley, the wide receiver three. So uh, whether you're playing redraft or, uh, or obviously dynasty, those are some guys outside of Benjamin, maybe some guys you could grab on the cheap and at least get one year of production. We saw we saw Curly have a pretty decent year last year and then go right back to the waiver wire as soon as the season ended. That's going to be the worst offense in the league. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, especially if um, we haven't talked about the McCoy issues on this show, but uh, if if he's out or if he's suspended sure. for a portion of the season, then yeah, I mean, essentially unwatchable would be that offense. Let's move on. Next question from Ayatollah. What draft strategy would change? How would your draft strategy change drastically from a 12-team Superflex compared to a 10-team Superflex? Uh, Nathan, you and I play in a lot of Superflex leagues together. Matt just joined his first one. Uh, all of mine are 12-team. I've played in a 10-team Superflex, but it has been many years. Uh, obviously, the quarterback value is is less there, right? Yeah, it, it does pretty much just emphasizes the the studs, you know, the 10-team league. You want all of the studs, and that, no different with the quarterback position is super flex. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, the difference is that, that the guys, like, who are ranked, like, 25 to 32, all those guys have value in a 12-team super flex, whereas in a 10-teamer, the, yes, those guys have value because they're still starting quarterbacks, but you're not as des- – it's not as, like – oh, this guy has a job, therefore he has value. It's, oh, this guy has a job, so like he's worth a roster spot. Yeah, I would think you could wait almost a round later to go get your first one, or certainly, like you said, the Andy Dalton, Flacco, Bortles types would probably really, really fall. Yeah, it would be much easier to stick with that uh, late-round quarterback plan or – or at least modified, you know, grabbing one guy early and then waiting. Uh, and even if you get the QB 21 or 24, you're still, <clears throat> you're still putting up some quality points. His next question is, is pretty interesting here, Nathan. I've not played in a league like this. I'm wondering if you have. Do you think an eight-team 
super duper flex league could work. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a term. If it's not, I want to take credit for it. I like it. So what he's calling a super duper flex, starting two quarterbacks, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and and some flex, but then an additional super flex. So the point is you can start up to three quarterbacks. I have seen some of those leagues out there. Have you done any of those, Nathan? I, I have not, but I think that the only way you're getting me in an eight-team league is if this was the format. Uh, but other than that, uh, I think that 12 and up teamers are the way to go. Uh, if you want the the uh, novelty of being able to start three quarterbacks, this is the way to go. But other than that, I think I'd much prefer a 12-team Superflex. So correct me if I'm wrong, though. I mean, just, just doing a little simple math here, an eight-team where you can start three, isn't that really equal to a 12-team where you can start two? Yeah. Yeah, but based on quarterback numbers alone, yes. Yeah, it would be. Um I mean, still in a in a smaller league, you're dealing with um, you're dealing with other factors. The waiver wire is a lot um, a lot stronger. the The competition is a lot less, just based on numbers alone. I mean, if you if you assume that a quarter of the league every year is is not going to be competitive. Uh, when, when you move that down to eight teams, uh, that's, you know, th- those numbers become a little more significant, I think. But I think I kind of want to play in a super duper flex league. I, I want to be able to say I've uh, got one of those on my resume. Maybe make it a 10 teamer. Yeah, no, that that would be, I think, uh, I think the leagues that I have, that I have followed are 10 or maybe even 12 where you can start, still start up to three. And as you can imagine, the quarterback value just really gets out of hand at that point. Yeah. I I, I think that any sort of anything bigger than 10 with a three quarterback league, uh, it would have to be where uh, like wide receivers are scoring the same as quarterbacks, running backs scoring the same as quarterbacks, because then it's actually an option to start like the, uh, a Kenyon Drake over a, a Blake Bortles. Yeah. Yeah. Next question from David, what is Mike Williams potential? And when could he possibly reach it? So I think we're all Williams fans here. I believe that's right. Uh, Williams is currently the wide receiver 38 in our DLF Dynasty ADP. He's 81 overall. Uh, I checked out Mike Clay's projections for Williams, and this is uh, this has been updated since the Hunter Henry injury. He has Williams pegged for 38 catches, 457 yards, four touchdowns. All of that would go to make him wide receiver 77. And it's notable that that puts him behind Tyrell Williams uh, just ever so slightly. So Mike Clay likes Tyrell Williams a little bit more than Mike Williams in 2018. Matt, do you like Mike Williams and can he produce this season? He's one of my trade targets right now in a big way. Um, I didn't love him coming out of school, but I recognize that he's a first round NFL pick all day long. I just didn't think he's a, in most years, a top 10 type of guy because he's not super explosive. He's kind of a build-up speed player. But I love his situation. I think he's going to go past Tyrell Williams, who is fine, but I don't think he's special. The Henry injury, I think, helps Mike a lot. Um, I have him as my 28th receiver. I have him kind of like in the Ridley, Kirk, Marvin Jones range. I'm pretty high on him. 
Yeah, that, that sounds about right for me. I think that Williams, you know, I feel like we've had way too many of these first-run wide receivers that have basically had redshirt uh, first seasons recently, and Williams obviously adds to the list. Uh, so, I mean, at the very least, th- those redshirt years provide a buying opportunity. So I think anyone who is saying, oh, Tyrell Williams, the wide receiver two there, is assuming that Mike Williams is not, not never going to be healthy. So uh, I'm fine investing in him like a you know, sixth, seventh round startup pick or, you know, around that trade value. So I think that he's a, a solid buy right now. I know it's only mini camp, but a little birdie told me that he looked very, very impressive running around and healthy and big and strong and go up and get it. So I'm intrigued. Well, let's go back to the John Ross talk for just a minute, because both of these guys are early first round picks last year. Both dealt with injuries throughout their rookie year and and essentially Nathan, like you said, had a red shirt year. Williams' value falls to, as I said, currently wide receiver 38, 81 overall in our dynasty ADP, whereas Ross is wide receiver 66, 147 overall. So what is it about Williams that we're forgiving here? Is is he just considered a better prospect? To me, he's got a better quarterback. He's in a slightly better situation. Ross has that Deshaun Jackson, Ted Ginn feel about him where he could kill you three weeks out of four. And Williams, to me, is a better football player, NFL prospect, and certainly consistent touchdown producer. Projection. Yeah, I I think that for the most part, people just see Williams as more of a prototypical NFL wide receiver and Ross is more of a gadget guy. But the other thing is that Ross, a lot of his injuries have been lower body and people fear those, those things a lot when it comes to the wide receiver position. And yes, certainly necks is not nothing to mess with because, you know, neck can be serious injuries, but a neck injury isn't going to affect Mike Williams speed or his really ability to jump. So uh, yes, it's like a serious health concern, but it's not really something that's hurting his ability to play football. Next question comes from Murray. This is an auction question. Nathan, you and I, again, have played in plenty of auction leagues uh, against each other. During an auction startup or a free agent auction in a contract league, if you want a player already on a team, do you bid on a player? Do you bid on players that that team is bidding on even if you don't want them? Uh, I've never thought of this strategy, first of all. I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. So I guess the essentially the question is, do you target a player that you know uh, your league mate is also targeting for the purpose of making a trade? So I would say no, just just because I Nathan, kind of like you were saying earlier, like predicting predicting these things is is tough. Making a draft pick with the intention of immediately flipping him is is not usually a good plan at least from my experience. What do you think? So I've done something like this, but it's not quite this direct. With, with this, it kind of seems like I'm just pissing the guy off that that I want to make a trade with. I'm like, oh, you want this player? I'm going to bid him up and I'm going to win him and then I'll try and trade him to you. It's more of the, the move that I try to make. If Let's say me and you are in an auction and you're running out of money and there's a player on the board that I, I think you would like. I'll say, hey, do you have any interest in Mike Williams? And you'll be like, Yes. So then I'll, I'll target Mike Williams when you don't have the money for Mike Williams. I'll take Mike Williams and then I'll trade him to you for the player that I want. So it's more of looking for a guy that doesn't have money and saying, hey, I can afford this player. You can't. Um, let, let's see if we can make a deal from there. Not necessarily. Oh, I'm just going to bid you up on this player. Yeah, I've never done an auction, but I can't see. 
I think I'd be pretty straightforward. If I was a guy I want, I'm going to go after him. I'm not going to try to deceive all that much in auctions. Maybe I'm just too inexperienced or not smart enough to do it, but, or to get a guide and then trade him the next day. I, I, I don't know if I can pull that off. No, Matt, what, what Nathan is describing is essentially what he's doing to me right now, <laughs> which, <laughs> which can be a good strategy. And, and maybe that works out for both of us. And in one of the auctions we're in right now, I, I don't have, I, I'm, I'm poor. So Nathan's going to have to get my player for me if I want him. Next question from Mark. When do you start thinking about making trades with, with setting your lineup in mind, considering some leagues, it takes more time to find a good trade. So I've said this, Nathan, I've heard you say it. I've heard plenty of people say it. Don't worry about setting your lineup in the offseason. Don't make a trade in February, or March, or April, or even June because you need an RB2 or you need a starting tight end or, or whatever. Just kind of let the, let the offseason play out uh, and fill your team with the best players possible. But now that camps are opening, preseason games will be here very soon. And the season actually will be here very soon. When can we start considering our starting lineup and uh, and improving it as much as possible? I'd say soon. I mean, by the week two or so of the preseason, you better have a pretty good idea. But I don't usually look at my teams through that lens as much. It's more like I just keep accumulating guys I like. And each week I fill in some boxes and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Maybe that's a short-sighted way to look at it, but I don't always think, man, I I need a third receiver really bad, so I'm going to go overpay for one. Yeah, and I, I think that there are situations that create themselves through training camp, uh, through injuries in the preseason, and so I'm never really urgent to make those type of decisions, but there is different levels of urgency. There, there's the urgency, oh, I, just, I don't have a top 24 running back to be my RB2. That I'm not worried about. I'll figure that out in weeks two, three, and four of the regular season. Um, but if it's a situation where I have literally zero tight ends on my roster, then I might, you know, or zero tight ends that could possibly start for me, then I'll make a move and, you know, try and target a Delaney Walker type, you know, those type of players. And that's more of an August move, but I'm never truly like desperate to fill a lineup spot unless it's literally just a, you know, a zero. Right. Or if you have a zero tight end situation or quarterback and then you're in the market, but you can always find somebody on your roster if you build it right. Let's stick with building things right. I might my transitions to Harry's have been off lately, Ryan. I'm struggling, man. Yeah, that was not good. That was awful. And usually that's like the best thing I bring to the show. <laughs> anyway, you guys have been listening for a while, and you know that I love Harry's. I have for a very long time. I have very sensitive skin. I couldn't use a straight razor because I'd get bumps and lumps. And so I went to a, a electric and then I found Harry's. So I'm hooked. Harry stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Claim yours right now by going to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's founders were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features. They knew that the great shave comes down to great blades made of sharp, durable steel that lasts. That's why they bought the factory and are making some of the highest quality blades in the world now for over 95 years. By selling directly to you on the internet, Harry's offers you great blades at a price much lower than the leading brand. Just two bucks a blade as opposed to like four or five or six bucks a blade. And they're better blades. So they're also a quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know within 30 days and they'll give you a full, a full refund. So you get the $13 trial set 
that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. You get a great weighted handle, five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. So here's the juke. Listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know I set you sent you with the help support dynasty blueprint. And I'll tra- I'll work on my transitions and for the next show. Matt, our next question comes from Stuart. And actually, this one is perfect for Nathan. We're going to let him handle this one. Have you guys had experience with active traders who pretty much exclusively send bad offers? What's the best way to deal with these people? And Stuart says, owners are wanting something for nothing is a problem that he seems to be having more and more often. Nathan, I know you had uh, some comments on Twitter recently about this. So the floor is yours. Talk to us about active traders and sending bad offers. All right. So it was a week ago, Dwayne Brown, uh, DLF writer, uh, asked the question, what is something you do that gives you an advantage over your dynasty league mates? And I said, my number one asset as a, as a dynasty player is sending bad trade offers. And I'm not saying sending Jeremy Curley for AJ Green. That's not what, necessarily what I'm talking about. A majority of the time when I send a first offer, it is definitely below market value and it's definitely in my favor. And sometimes that'll piss people off and they'll be like, why are you sending me these terrible offers? I've had people tell me that I'm ruining the league by sending these bad offers. (laughs) But, But then I point them directly to the trade page where it says Nathan has made 32 trades this year and that's more than everybody else. And so people will complain about my bad trade offers, but a lot of them end up leading to trades. So I, I think that the benefit of sending bad trade offers is a, you're rarely going to make an overpay, at least on, on current market value. But the other thing is, is that you just end up starting a lot of conversations. Some of them aren't the nicest conversations, but I make a lot of trades and therefore I'm a ben- I benefit from the fact that I'm making those bad trade offers. I'm just like you, you know, I'm never going to come in with my best offer right off the bat. And some guys do. Here's what I got. Say yes or no. To me, that's not what it's all about. I love the haggling and I want to get more. I want to get better value. I want you to say yes to the crappy trade I sent you first. And, you know, to me, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's like if you walk in a pawn shop and it's like pawn stars, you're not going to give them your best offer right off the bat. And yeah, there are some people that get unhappy with you and they write you back. And then I say, yeah, I know. I came in high. LOL. What do you need for Mike Williams? You know, and then at least you break the ice. And that's step one of the, that's the hardest thing of the conversation. And then you can figure something out. And again, I'm one of the guys that makes the most deals in the league. So, so be it. But there is a couple people that are just brutal to deal with, you know, and then I basically avoid them. Well, our next question is, is kind of along the same lines. And, and Nathan, I want to hear more about, your trade process. And and that's what this question asks about. Mike says, I like the trading process, but find too many league mates that are not skilled in or are just uncomfortable with the negotiation aspect. And they walk away far too early from trade talks. How do you get people to hang in for the possibility of making a trade? So let's go back to your situation, Nathan, you send that first offer, it's below market value. Some might call it a bad offer. Uh, How do you, keep your trade partner, uh, I, I guess, engaged rather than just clicking decline and, and, you know, thinking you're an idiot. 
this 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 kind of lends itself to uh, everyone always talks about uh, Leo Pasiga's notebook, where he knows which which guys he has to come in with a strong offer with, and which guys that he can haggle with. And for me, let's say I play with a hundred different guys in the dynasty community. I probably only trade with 20 to 30 of them, but those same people are making trades with me over and over and over because they enjoy the haggle process. They enjoy going back and forth and having 30 counters. Me and Dan Senio, who we have a couple podcasts with, we we have like three month long trade negotiations on the same trade and eventually we get a deal done, but it might take a while. So you kind of just have to know who's going to stay in the game for that. And if someone is not going, if, if you really want to make a trade with somebody and they, you know the, that they're not going to be along for the ride of the trade negotiation, then send the best offer or just no, don't make a trade with them. You can't really force someone to make a trade. You can't force someone to haggle back and forth. So it, it's kind of just knowing your league mate and what, what you need to do with them. There's always that guy in your league that has every rookie draft year after year has his four picks, nobody else's, no less, no more. You know, he just stays the course and he loses all the time. We're going to keep the trade talk going for one more question. We've got a trade question here from Freakzilla. 12-team PPR league. Uh, my team is one of the top three. Current running backs are Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon, Geis, Collins, Drake, Balage, Bernard, Chris Thompson. Some nice depth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's got to start two running backs and also has an additional flex spot. Uh, so here is his trade question. He was offered three first-round picks. For Le'Veon Bell, which sounds sounds like an instant accept uh, at first glance, but they're all from 2020. The 2020 draft, are you taking three 2020 first-rounders for Le'Veon Bell, Nathan? I, I don't think this is a trade that you can make. If you consider yourself a top-three team, you have that stable of running backs. You're, that's just such a long time to wait for a top asset like that. When I'm dealing a Le'Veon Bell, I want to get a wide receiver that's being selected in the first round of the startup. Or if I'm going to get a, a pick package or a young player package, I want to get at least one young player that might develop this year and maybe one 19 first. And, and then if you can give me two 2020 first, basically I need, I need to, something to happen before 2020. I've been preaching to dump Bell and I'm worried about him for a year or so now that I think he's starting to decline. And immediately, like you said, three future first, gone. See ya. But with this guy's team, too, I think you're really hindering your chances of winning money this year by dumping him. Because I think you'd be a contender with him, assuming the rest of your team's not garbage. So I can't say yes to that. But if somebody's offering you three, three, you know, first round picks for the guy, I would still continue talks with that person. That's what I was going to say. This, I think this offer at least shows what the the other guy is willing to pay and uh, maybe you can move one or two of those to 2019 or you can get take one of those picks out and get that young wide receiver that Nathan was talking about there's there's some wiggle room here at least but as it is I think I agree we you can't accept that offer uh, not not with your roster unless you're willing to blow it all up you know like if the rest of your if your receivers are all young guys, you know, and then I would trade Collins too and trade Bernard and, you know, really blow it up and be a powerhouse two years from now. Yeah. Next question from David. Any Dez rumors? When do we panic that he isn't on a team yet? What would you want in a return, uh, in return, in a trade? So, Matt, let's start with you on this one. Have you heard any type of rumors about where he might land? Crickets. I haven't heard a thing. My hunch is – he become he starts to get back in play after a receiver gets hurt. You know, 
maybe your first week of preseason or somebody blows out a knee in camp and then he's on speed dial for a contender. Yeah. Nathan, what do you think? I mean, yes, he's only like 29, 30 years old, but is there a chance that he's just like, I don't want to go to camp. I just want to show up, you know, mm-hmm. late August, early September and play football. So, I mean, I, I would find it hard to believe that he hasn't had a couple, you know, contract offers that he's just like, oh, that's just not right the, the right fit at this time. And certainly what, if we get to September and he doesn't have a job, he's going to take the first offer that, that comes his way. So I, I think that there could be a, a bit of, you know, a veteran ambivalence toward uh, offseason and the offseason schedule. Uh, but in general, I, Des isn't really a guy you can count on anymore. You have to wait until he signs, and even then – you got to wait until he shows any sort of production to say, oh, this guy is back to being a dynasty asset. And that's sad, but, you know, at this point, he's he's not a guy I'm going to be selling for like a second-round rookie pick, but he's not really a guy I'm going out and buying either. Yeah, I think it's funny, and David is not the the first guy I've seen who's kind of panicking that, uh, that Des doesn't have a job yet, but we essentially were told almost as soon as he re- was released that he would be waiting until training camp, uh, before finding a new team, so we're still early in that process. We shouldn't we shouldn't be panicked. I actually did a put a poll out on Twitter recently, just with a simple question: Do you think Des Bryant plays in 2018? And the overwhelming majority still thought that he does that he would. Yet his ADP continues to drop, his trade value continues to drop. Nathan, did you say you would not you would not sell him for a second rounder? No, I wouldn't. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I would, I would still take a second. I would take a second rounder for him. I think even if he signed, I would take a second rounder for him. Maybe if that was one of these teams that we get excited about and we see spike the value of receivers, Packers, Patriots, Saints, maybe that would change things. But in general, I think I'd, I'd sell him for any second. Yeah, I think I would too. However, sitting here having this conversation about him, I wonder if this is the the lowest his stock can possibly go, and it's a buying window, and a month from now he signs a two-year deal with somebody, and all of a sudden it's like he's catching 80 balls again. I mean, obviously his game's fallen off, but he's not a non-NFL player. I mean, he's still one of the best 40 wide receivers in the world or 50 wide receivers in the world. Yeah, maybe that's debatable. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, there's, maybe a lot, not. there's a lot of good college wide receivers. Right. <laughs> I mean, is he an NFL starter right now? Yes. Yes, I think, I think so. so. Yes, I think right. so too. All right. Next question from Nick. This is another Nathan special, as it's about his team. Is this the year Chris Godwin breaks out? Uh, it's funny that I sense a little bit of frustration there. Like, is this finally the year that Chris Godwin gives us something? I, um, these, these young guys all kind of roll together for me, Nathan. This is just going to be his second year, right? Is this his second yeah, or third year? Second year. Okay, second year for Chris Godwin. Um, so we, we saw some good things at the end of the season. He's certainly been pegged by a lot of people as a breakout player, but they kept Deshaun Jackson on that roster. Uh, they re-signed Cameron Brait. Uh, we know he's a favorite of, of Jameis Winston. It, is this the Chris Godwin breakout year as, as a Bucks fan? Probably not. Uh, I, I think that it'll, it'll take Deshaun Jackson not being on the team for him to have any sort of real breakout because 
there's just so many targets on offense. You've mentioned Cameron Braid, OJ Howard, um, Mike Evans, of course. There, there's just, you know, so many targets that I don't see Chris Godwin breaking out. Yes, he'll have, have more production than he did in his rookie season. He'll get more snaps than he did in his rookie season. But I, I think that it t- it's going to take a Deshaun Jackson exit for Godwin to be like a week-to-week starter in fantasy. I totally agree. Like, I think as a, in the real world, yes, he's ready to break out. I really like the guy. The coaching staff's going to be like, boy, we got a player here. He's broken out. He's taking a step forward. He's a real asset to the team. But for him to really help your di- your, your your fantasy team and check that box where he can start him every week seems really far-fetched. And, and just doing that startup, Ryan, that I did, you know, just finished up, I couldn't believe how far Deshaun Jackson fell. I got him like in the 22nd round or something crazy. He can still play, and, and Humphreys isn't terrible. Yeah, I've been surprised um, at how how far Jackson has fallen as well uh, in in ADP and in trade value. He's he's essentially worthless at this point, um, and I think he he's going to be able to contribute um, some big games. Still, a guy as really as he's been his entire career, he's he's a guy who's more suited for um, a, a best ball format because it is tough in general to predict when those big games will come. We will end on one more trade question since we have the co-host of the Dynasty Trade Cast with us. Uh, another one from Murray. He says, "I recently saw a guy trade for a quarterback. I noticed he had also proposed a trade for a quarterback with me." It's a single quarterback league with plenty available, so I accepted the offer. Is that bad trade etiquette, Nathan? Uh, I, I don't think so. I'm a guy who sends out mass trade offers. I'll, I, if I'm trying to sell a player, I'll offer that player to everyone in the league. If I want to acquire a rookie pick, I'll offer something for that a rookie pick to everyone in the league. And people will get frustrated with me because someone will beat them to accepting my offer. On the rare occasion I don't send a bad trade offer, there will be multiple people that wanted to accept <laughs> wanted to accept uh, my offer. So all the um, more reasons and bad ones. Right. So if you're sending out multiple offers for a quarterback, you're, you're running the risk of, of, you know, getting multiple quarterbacks. Uh, but certainly if I'm doing that, I'm going to be aware of, you know, be looking at my email. Oh, did I get Deshaun Watson? Okay. I don't need to trade for Derek Carr anymore. So um, I don't think it's bad etiquette. I think it's just something that the person who, who sent those offers are just taking a risk by doing that. I 100% agree, and if you are the ones going after the quarterback, you better be on top of it. I mean, the second that someone accepts it, go, you know, pull the other offers or have a fourth-round pick or something in every offer so that it immediately does it for you. Have something that's the same in all the offers. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. That's actually something I, I did recently when I was sending mass offers. I was just throwing in Max Williams to every single offer so that once right. someone accepted it, no one else could accept the offer a second time. You were just willing to give up Mac, Max Williams just like that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nathan, have you ever been caught in this type of situation where you sent out a bunch of offers and then you ended up with three tight ends or two quarterbacks or four second-round picks? I, I don't think I have. I, I think that, for the most part, uh, I'm, I'm on top of it, and if I think I need to revoke something, I do it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Nathan. Thanks for helping us answer some great listener questions. Tell all of our listeners where they can find your work. You can find my writing at dynastyleaguefootball.com. I'll be doing the Debbie stock market piece that I do every year uh, once the season starts for college football. And uh, you can find my podcast on Rotovis Radio, the Dynasty Tradecast, and a brand new podcast with Dan Senio called Dynasty Double Take, presented by DLF. 
basically we take different uh, subjects like trait, create etiquette and coaching and things like that, where we just take one topic and we debate it for 10 to 15 minutes, a very fun podcast, very quick, quick for like your morning drive. So uh, check out the dynasty double take on DLF. Fun. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more dynasty blueprint.